taking a short break from our series through the Gospel of Matthew, and uh, typically we'll teach through books of the Bible, and that's where I feel most comfortable. That keeps me honest. It keeps me proclaiming the entire counsel of God's Word, but uh, as elders, we've decided we want to focus a couple times a year just on maybe a practice that we see evidenced in Jesus' life that seems to be something that's vital to his walk with his Father. And we looked at this last year, and we started the year looking at prayer. Because as you look at Jesus, and as you read through the Gospels, you see over and over that Jesus was praying, and so much that his disciples looked at his life and said, Lord, teach us how to pray. We need to know that. And we just looked at the Lord's Prayer as we were going through the Sermon on the Mount. And then the second practice that we saw in Jesus' life that was central to how he lived life was this aspect of living in a community of believers. That he wasn't the God that was up there and descended and from a kind of noble throne declared truth, but he came and lived and walked among the people of this world, invested in their lives, In the midst of many broken and messed up lives, Jesus began to walk with these people to call them into his kingdom to be transformed from the inside out. And then the third practice we're going to look at and have been looking at for a couple weeks is this practice of solitude. And we talked about the fact that oftentimes in scripture it'll say Jesus went away to a lonely place, a solitary place. Some translations translate that word as the wilderness or the desert. Luke 5.16 says Jesus often withdrew to the Aramos, the lonely place, the desert to pray. And so we've been talking about the reality of sometimes what we talk about in our God talk and What we sing about sometimes does not often match up with the experiential reality of how we are living our lives day to day as we go through our weeks. And it's our desire as leaders for that more closely to mesh and to realize, you know, we all want the life. I want the life of Jesus. And Dallas Willard said something that I think is profound that we can't expect to live the life of Jesus unless we're living the lifestyle of Jesus. And so that's why we're focusing on some of these practices to to recognize, you know, it's one thing intellectually to talk about God and to know God and to know the truth of his word. It's another thing for us to really know God. Know God in that deep experiential sense. And that, to me, is what we're, we're pushing into here in this process of, Lord, I know it here, but make it real here. That what I do in my life is flowing out of a place of genuine relationship with you. And so to me, we've seen these practices of praying, of being with believers and being molded and shaped and formed by other believers in the body of Christ and then getting away as significant and important if we're going to kind of translate our head knowledge into experiential life. Been reading a lot about this and uh, one guy that was kind of deep into a walk with God was asked by kind of a novice, what what do you see as one of the biggest problems in the church today? And he thought for a moment, and he said something interesting. He said, efficiency. And I was thinking, that's kind of an interesting (laughs) answer to that question. It's not what I would answer in that question, but, you know, we, we live in a culture that's very much bottom line oriented, right? 
It's all about the bottom line. It's show me the money. If this doesn't produce something in my life in the next five or ten minutes, then I'm done with it. And that may be great for manufacturing, and you know, you've got your systems engineers that design all these systems to flow as efficiently as possible, but even in that, I see sometimes that people get pushed to the sides. That you see in the Old Testament that those who had fields and farmed were told, hey, you know, if you're going through your field and your first group of harvesters goes through and they drop some stuff, just leave it there. And don't glean all the way to the edges of your field. And you look at that and say, well, that's not efficient. They should go back. They should get every kernel of wheat, right? Every cob of corn they should get. The problem is that relationships and love, they're not efficient. How many of you went on a date with someone that you were interested in and your first thought was like, is this efficient? <laughs> How much am I paying for this? What am I going to get out of this? And, and there's some of that in our world today, right? I, I'm in this, but a godly relationship that's concerned of somebody else, you're not thinking about efficiency. Love also does stuff that's incredibly inefficient, right? You spend time, you, you, you lose sleep, you, quote, waste money because of what? Because of a relationship. <laughs> right. It's sometimes cost. It's not efficient. It's not easy. But what we, we invest in that, why? Because we love that. Even when they're screaming, we still love them and care. And is it most efficient to even have a kid? No. It's easier not to have kids, Right. If it's all about us and all about our lives being efficient and maximizing our bottom line, we're never going to have kids. Yet God calls us to be fruitful and, and to multiply and to recognize that we're here more than just for us. Actually, we're here for the benefit of other people. So efficiency is one of the challenges. Another guy that was teaching pastor at one of the largest churches in the country for a while he was kind of burned out in his, his walk with God, and he called up uh, a spiritual mentor that he had, a guy that was much more mature, just a really deep relationship with God, and said, you know, this is just where I'm at. What, what do I need to do in my life? And he said the guy always paused and thought for a while, and so there was kind of an awkward silence. And then he said, ruthlessly eliminate hurry from your life. And so the guy is like, okay, I got that. What's the next thing? <laughs> and he's like, no, that is the thing, right? We're so, we're so what we got to do next? And to me, you look at our world and we're so fast paced, right? And I've seen stats of how many times people touch their iPhone in a day or their smartphone in a day. And this was several years ago, but the average person over 35, it was like 2,400 touches a day and about two and a half hours a day they were on their phone. For those under 35, it drastically went up to like 4,600 touches a day and five and a half hours a day they were attached to their, their phone. And again, I'm not against smartphones. They can be wonderful tools to be used, but it's just we live in a world that's constantly more, 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 faster, 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 more efficient, more efficient, more efficient. And if you can do it in eight hours, maybe you can work 10 or 12 hours. And maybe we can eliminate another position and that will help the bottom line of the corporation and then we'll do, quote, more with less. Right? Have you ever heard? We're going to do more with less. I've titled this message The Art of Wasting Time with God. 
Because like any other relationship, a relationship with God is probably not going to be efficient and it's not going to fit in our hurried lifestyle. It just is not. Jesus, as I mentioned in Luke 5.16, he regularly went to a quiet place, a solitary place to pray. And he did that in all seasons of his life. We saw he did that immediately when his cousin John the Baptist was beheaded and Jesus is grieving and he's like, I got to get away. I got to get out to that solitary place to be with my Lord. He does it in the midst of the busyness of all his ministry and people are clamoring for him and he's like, I got to get out of here. I got to spend time with the Lord. And his disciples are like, no, 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 no. You got to be back in town. Come on. This is the great time to Really get your ministry going. This is not an efficient use of time. You should be healing and helping people, not off in the wilderness, talking to God, doing that thing. That's not, that's not efficient. We're in a hurry here. And Jesus never seemed to be in a hurry in his life, right? And even if something was really pressing and someone comes and says, yo, this person is almost dying, my daughter's almost dying, and then he gets interrupted on the way and he stops and he cares for that person and they're like, whoa, no, that's where we got to hurry to And Jesus said, I'll, I'll get there eventually. So the art of wasting time with God. Psalm 46.10 is a verse that probably is familiar to many of us. Be still and know that I am God. I said that quote from Henry Nowen last week that it's doubtful that any of us will grow deep spiritually if we don't have time and solitude and stillness with God. And I say it's an art, not a science. There's not ten steps or five elements or six approaches that will make this happen in our lives. And I think when we see Jesus going away, we're not given a prescriptive thing of this is exactly what he did when he was in that place of solitude. Jesus went away and he prayed. Sometimes he prayed all night. He prayed all night before he chose the 12 apostles. And I'm thinking, okay, was that constant verbal prayer? What, what was he doing all night there. I run out of stuff to pray in about 15 or 20 minutes, right? And here is Jesus all night. So I think there's a variety of things, and we're going to talk about that, that we can do when we're, quote, wasting time with our Father. And again, I title it wasting not because I think it's a waste, but because that's how we often view it, that I've got stuff to do. I can spend some time with the Lord, but that's going to mean I'm not going to be whatever, working out or working on that new proposal for business or studying or doing that next thing that's on my to-do list that I have to do because this is not quite as important as that. And when we spend time with the Lord, it's often not an immediate payback, right? Like any relationship you invest in, it's not like, oh, I spent 10 minutes with this person. We're close, we're tight, let's go forward. Sometimes it gets difficult and challenging and you've got to work through those things but it's significantly important. In Psalm 46, that verse, it says, be still and know that I'm God. Literally being still, it's used of, of letting go and loosening, often of the hands loosening up. And to me, that's a picture of, of coming before God and, and we're holding on to all this stuff tightly. We're trying to control everything. We've got to make life happen. And so, the, 
encouragement to us as followers of God is we've got to get into the presence of God and, and let loose of that. Be still and then to know that I am God. And that's more than an intellectual knowledge. It's an experiential knowledge. We know that word in the Old Testament is used of the greatest intimacy between a couple. Adam knew his wife and they conceived a child, right? So it's this deep intimacy that God wants us to know him in that way. And he says the way that happens is when we release and we let go and we loosen up a little bit of those things that we so tightly cling to in life. So I ask myself, what spins me up? pretty tight and there's a lot of things in life that do that to me and so I know I need regularly to get in that place with God where I, I, I loosen my grip on some of that stuff when I realize what is true all the time that I control so little in my life but God controls everything and I need to get to that place where it's like I'm able to release this to you, God, and, and take this huge weight that's on my shoulders, right, and, and give it to you. Many of us know Philippians 4, 6, and 7, right? Don't be, what, anxious about it. Don't be, and I used to take that for a long time as like this club that, you're anxious, bet, you shouldn't be anxious. Come on, buck up and do it. Until I was reading someone, he said, we need to look at the four words that precede that command at the end of verse 5. The Lord is near. Don't be anxious about anything. You see, when I just try not to be anxious about things, it's just like, but there's a lot of stuff I need to be anxious about. What's going on? Is Russia going to invade Ukraine? What's that going to do to everything? You know, what in the world is going on in this world? It's crazy. COVID's going crazy. What? And it's like, okay, the Lord is near. Therefore, I don't have to be anxious about anything. He's got this. I'm still, I release my feeble attempts to control my life and give them to God and remember, God, you're in control. It's part of the Lord's Prayer, our Father who art in heaven. And we talked about that fact when we think often heaven in our conception in our culture. Heaven's way out there, kind of outside of the universe, but the reality is when they were talking about that, heaven is near. It's present as close as our breath, right? And when God spoke and talked to the people after the baptism and on the Mount of Transfiguration, it says he spoke from heaven. Heaven was close enough for them to hear we know the reality, the spiritual world is everywhere and, and that's what God is near, our Father is near. Therefore, we can release these things to him and to experientially begin to know God. And I know so many of us long for that, right? We are stressed out, we're maxed out, life is busy, it's crazy. There's a zillion things that we can worry about. Yet we also as believers say that we've got a Father in heaven that cares for us enough to send his Son and while he loves us, he doesn't condemn us and as that passage in Romans 8 says, if he gave us his Son, will he not also give us all things? There's a place in our lives where we can just go, I'm still. And I recognize, you know what, I'm in the, the hands of my Father and we talked about the reality of solitude the primary focus of solitude is not to get away from everybody. So that I have any relations with anybody. But no, it's so that I am brought into the presence of God and remember and I'm still before God and know this is the God 
that is for me. He's not against me. He wants what is best for me. So in this process of, okay, how do we go about pushing into this relationship with God? There's just some stuff that I've learned through the years. Today's going to be really practical, not super (laughs) exegetical, but to me the first thing is that wasting time with God, it needs to be scheduled into my daily routine or it doesn't happen. That's just the reality. And we've talked about the fact some of you are morning people, some of you are night people, some of you may be midday people. That's fine. But the reality is usually unless we schedule time into our life for this, it's not going to happen. Because what? Life happens. Busyness happens. You get that call. You get that email. You get that text message. It's like, oh, i got to get on this. And it just gets pushed to the side. Why? Because it's not as pressing as some of those other things that are saying, hurry, 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 you got to get on this right away. I like your response yesterday. And the boss texts you on Saturday, and it's like, oh. Like I said, now wherever we go, work goes with us, right? Our studies go with us. And that was one of the things that, oh, I'm finally not a student anymore. I won't have these, you know, and it's like, oh, you realize, no, it's always everywhere, you know, that unless I'm scheduling this time, it's not going to happen. And I think we realize this in almost any area of our life, Right? Those of you who exercise, you recognize, okay, this has just got to be a discipline I put in my life. When I feel like it or when I don't feel like it, I just do it. Why? Because I know ultimately it's going to be good for me. And it's part of my routine. It's part of my schedule. And I ask myself sometimes, okay, do I take my relationship with God as seriously as I take my workouts or my work? How does it fit in my schedule? Is it something, okay, if I've got time, then I'm going to put God in there. We talked about the fact last week that Paul says to Timothy, discipline yourself for godliness. It's like go work out for godliness. If you want to become Christ-like, it's going to take some effort and energy and work and setting aside time. So that's the first thing I've learned. Second is that I've got to eliminate as many distractions as possible when I'm trying to do this. We see Jesus going into the Aramos, the desert, the wilderness. Why? He needs to get away from all of the other things that are constantly knocking. So to me, one of the, I need to put my phone down and put it away, right? For me, it's first thing in the morning. So the first thing in the morning, yeah, my phone wakes me up. It's got an alarm when I need it. But then I don't put it down. I don't check my messages. I don't check email. I don't check texts. I don't look at what the news feed is saying. I just like, I don't need that yet, right? Because if I get into that, then all during my time with the Lord, I may be thinking, oh, what about that person? I need to, and I'm distracted. And I know this is harder at different seasons of life than others, right? I know moms with little kids, you know, and families with little kids, sometimes it's like there's hardly any time that's undistracted. So, so don't set these outrageously, you know, I'm going to spend an hour a day with the Lord. You know, it's like, okay. Maybe at my season of life, it works. At your season, it may be, man, God, if I could get 10 minutes. So I'm going to carve this time out then to be with you. But we need to eliminate distractions. That's Psalm 131 that I talked about that where, where David compares himself to a, to a wean child. And he says, I have stilled and calmed my soul. It's something he's doing. He says, yes, I think God stills and calms us, but I have to take steps to still and quiet my soul. So that means when I'm getting away, I need to recognize, okay, what are those things that make me unstill? 
And what are those things that create a lot of noise in my head, right? Squirrel. And that's, that's part of it. And I just learned to realize, okay, if there's, I just write something down and, and move on. I can't keep those things from flying through my head. But the reality is I can eliminate some of those distractions by what I push away from my life at those times. For me, it's the corner of our living room, just where I've got a comfortable chair, and that's, that's my place where I meet with the Lord. That's my Aramos, that's my desert. And it's in the morning, and it's quiet. For you, it may look totally different at a different season of life, but I really want to encourage you to find some space and time to do that. I think Christianity in our culture is very superficial. And I get so tired of kind of the saccharine, sugary, oh, talk that just does not match with the reality of what we're doing in our lives. And to me, that moves to my third point, is I need to waste time with God regardless of my feelings. Right? And to me, I see this in Jesus' life. He spends time, he goes to the Eremos when life is really busy, and the excuse could be, Father, I'm so busy, I don't have time to spend with you today, so, you know, hook me up, we'll get this program moving today. And he gets up early and he goes to that quiet place because life is so busy that he needs that solitude to be able to minister and to love from a place of fullness with God and not from a place where he's just going to get burned out and fried. But he also goes to the solitary place when he's grieving over John the Baptist. And I think sometimes we feel like, oh, I'm not going to go into the presence of God because, you know, actually I'm pretty ticked off at God because of what he's been allowing in my life right now. And I love the Psalms for the reality of what a relationship with God looks like. You don't have to turn there. But these are two Psalms, back to back, the first two verses of each of these Psalms, both from David, okay? And the Holy Spirit has put these back to back. Listen to this. This is an awesome time with God. O oh Lord, in your strength the king rejoices. In your salvation, how greatly he exalts. You have given him his heart's desire. You have not withheld the request of his lips. For you meet him with rich blessings. You set a crown of fine gold upon his head. He has asked for life, and you gave it to him. Length of days, and you extended them. Wow, it's going into, God, you're awesome. You provided everything that I need. This is so wonderful. Love my relationship with you, right? It's going so great. Next Psalm. My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Why are you so far from saving me from the words of my groaning? Oh my God, I cry by day, but you do not answer. And by night, but I find no rest. Same guy. <laughs> Psalm 21 and Psalm 22. I look at this like, man, is David bipolar? What's going on with, with this guy? But the reality is that's life, right? Sometimes we feel like, oh God, if you would bless me anymore, this is just astounding and amazing, right? And sometimes we're like, what in the heck, God? Why don't you even show up? I'm crying out and there's nothing. My prayers are bouncing off the ceiling and I'm not feeling it at all. But to me, the beauty of scriptures is David brought that stuff to God. 
And so don't wait to be in that place of, oh, I'm feeling really tight and close to God, but bring everything to God. How I define prayer is the real me communicating with the real God. And I think sometimes for Christians, we, we feel we've got to polish up things before we go into the presence of God. And that's why I just love the Psalms and their rawness and the realness of, man, this is what's going on. And we look at this and we say, well, look at Jesus. Yeah, what was that time in Jesus' life where he's like, take this away from me, God. I hate this direction that you're taking me in life. I'm not comfortable with it. I don't want to go there. But he ultimately gets to that place where he says, okay, God, but not my will, but yours. Sometimes in a relationship with a real person, we know on a horizontal level, they're going to say stuff that we don't like. Sometimes that stuff is accurate and it's stuff that we need to hear, right? And I think we need to recognize as we walk with God that these times of solitude with God are not always going to be warm and fuzzy where we're like, oh, Sometimes it's going to be God putting his finger on something and say, Brett, you should not talk to your wife or your kids like that. Or you need to rectify this situation. You need to work on this issue. And there's some times where it's like, I just want you to know that I love you. And those are great. We want that as well, right? But in a real relationship with a real person, it means sometimes there's going to be stuff that's said that it's not comfortable. Or I'm going to be in a place where I'm not really happy with what this other person is doing. And horizontal level, the other person can always be mistaken, but when I'm talking with my father, he's never going to be mistaken, right? So I just want to avoid him at those times because I probably don't want to hear what he has to say to me, right? But to me, I recognize that if I'm going to have a real relationship with this real God, I've got to push into it regardless of what my feelings are doing. Okay, so you've set aside time You've decided, I'm going to go there, and I'm going to be with God, so what the heck do you do once you're there? Again, first I think, the first thing I do is just to remind myself that God's present, that the Lord is near. And because of that, then I can go, and you see that in the beginning of the Lord's Prayer, you're my Father, and, and you're here with me. God, I'm here, and you're here. And then, to me, it's to pray. And again, we talk about this, and I know Christians like to, okay, these are the seven things, this is the exact way you need to pray. Jesus gave us that model prayer. And he says, pray like this. How I use that is kind of a scaffolding on which to build my prayers in terms of structure. I start out with God, recognize him as Father, recognizing I've got to align my will to his, and prayer is not a time for his will to be aligned with mine, and to recognize that this is more than just about my laundry list of stuff that I want from God. Because before the prayer, Jesus says, you know, your Father knows what you need even before you ask. And we talked about this in the Lord's Prayer. It's like, well, then why go to him? Well, if I'm having that attitude, it means the only reason I'm going to the Father is get stuff, right? So if Jesus says pray, even though that's a reality and your Father always knows and already knows what you need, then it's about more than just getting my laundry list of things. It's about relating to the God of this universe and spending time with him in relationship. It's not, is this prayer efficient? Right? Have I gotten, and the scripture does it, you know, the prayer of a righteous person accomplishes much. So 
there should be an expectation that God will work through our prayers. But if that's the reason I'm going, I'm going so that I can get. I think biblically you look at that and say that's that's false, far short of what God is wanting us to do in prayer. And then this is some part that I'm still working on, and this is the part of of listening to God when I'm spending time with Him. As I said before, I'm I'm a good talker and. I can talk and talk and talk and God says, Brett, be still. Listen for a while. And I love Peter on the Mount of Transfiguration. You know, it's Moses and Elijah and the Lord up there and Peter didn't know what to say but he just decided to say, oh, let's build booths. And then in the midst of his sentence, the father overshadows it and he says, this is my beloved son. Listen to him. And I think he's like, Peter? hey, Peter, these aren't three equal beings up here. It's not Moses and Elijah and Jesus and you can make booths for all three. No, this is my son. He is the one that needs to be listened to above everybody else. And Peter, you need to listen and be quiet. But that brings up a question. How does Jesus speak to us today? I know it's by the Holy Spirit, but how does that actually work in life? And for me, primarily, the way that God speaks is through his word, right? It's interesting when Jesus, at the start of his ministry, goes out into that solitary place, the Aramos, the wilderness, and he's confronted by the evil one. And how does Jesus respond? It is written, right? It is written. It is written. And it's really interesting that Jesus quotes from just a really small section of Deuteronomy, chapters 6 through 8. And I'm just wondering if when Jesus was out in the Aramos, he was just meditating and pondering God's word out there. This was an oral culture, and people in that culture would memorize big chunks of Scripture, right, that kind of daunt us when we think about that. And it still happens today in Middle Eastern countries where you know, like a Muslim will memorize the entire Quran, and we're just like, oh, that would blow my I don't know. How do you start? But that's the culture they're in. And I'm thinking, okay, one of the ways that Jesus listens to his Father is he meditates on the truth of God's Word. He's out in the wilderness, and he's thinking through Deuteronomy 6 through Eight, someone called meditation on God's word the digestive faculty of the soul. And I love that because we can hear the word, but then it's when that word begins to kind of be imbibed by us, right? There's certain things that vitamins and stuff that you have to take with another vitamin so that that becomes bioavailable, right? You can't take iron if you are not also taking vitamin C because it won't be absorbed into our system. And so I think, okay, part of us, yeah, we need to know the word, but then part of that process is meditating on the word. It's that Psalm 1, right? And the Lord's word, he meditates day and night. He's, it's cows chew the cud, right? And that's often a metaphor. It's like you're just pondering this over and over. How does this relate to my life? What do I do with this? And to me, this is the primary way that God speaks to my heart, that I hear his voice. And again, you can approach this in many different ways. I tend to read through on a reading plan that takes me through twice in the New Testament and once in the Old Testament in a year. Some people 
and I didn't do that for a while because once I was doing it, I was just checking the box, and it was like, oh, I'm just checking the box. Okay, I'm getting through the Bible in a year. Yeah. Do you remember anything you read? No. <laughs> You're seeking to apply any of it to your life? Not really, but I read my Bible, right? No, it's, it's like, okay, and I love Luther. His plan is read in Scripture until the Holy Spirit hits you with something, bam, and just stop there and meditate on that. Because I'm sure you've all had this experience if you try to read through the Bible. You get through certain sections and you're like, okay, I know this is your word, God, but it's just chronicles and name. It's just like, this is not, I'm not getting anything. Okay, push on. You know. All scripture is beneficial. That's not equally beneficial and equally applicable to our lives right now. Another way, and this is kind of on the opposite side of the spectrum of getting the word into our head and our heart is what Ignatius called super slow reading, where he would just read sections of just really slow and emphasize kind of each word. Let's take Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd, right? The Lord is my shepherd. And just ponder, okay, who is this king and Lord that is my shepherd? And think about the qualities of this God and king that I serve, his immense power. The Lord is my shepherd, it's not, yes, he cares for all people, but you know what? He is my personal shepherd. And to ponder that for a little while. And then think about, okay, what is shepherd? What does that mean? What is involved in being a shepherd? And this is the king and the Lord that is my shepherd, and this is how he cares for me. And so just to take a really small section and just dig deep into that so that God can speak to our hearts in those ways. And these are the ways that evangelicals are really comfortable with, right? We're in the Word, right? It's objective. We've got that down. But then there's a whole subjective realm where I think God is still speaking to people today. I'm not a cessationist. I don't believe the gifts of the Spirit went away. And you see many things that are happening in the New Testament where God is working in kind of some interesting ways. And at the beginning of Acts... In Acts 2, it says this, talking about the time of the church coming. In the last days, that's the days we're in right now. It shall be, God declares, that I will pour my spirit out on all flesh. Your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions. Your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my male servants and female servants, in those days I will pour out my spirit and they shall prophesy. So we see in that passage that Peter looks and he says, this is what's come on the church. The Spirit has been poured out on to the church. And so there's going to be some stuff happening now that for us sometimes is strange. There's visions, there's dreams, there's prophecy. All this stuff is going on. And to me, you look at this stuff and it's like, I still think God wants to speak to us. And in 1 Corinthians, it talks about, you know, this word of knowledge or word of wisdom. And it's like, what are those things? They're not clearly defined there, you know? To me, a word of knowledge is that God, by his spirit, plants something in my head that I have no way of knowing about. And I've talked to counselors who get this, that someone will come in with a presenting problem and say, this is what I'm dealing with. And they'll just get this, okay, I don't think that's what it is. I think this is what it is. And they'll gently say, hey, I'm wondering if you're struggling with this. And then, wow, the person just breaks down. And that's, what is that? That's, I think, God speaking to that person to help 
another person. And wisdom, I think, is just that ability to know what to do in a specific situation where it's like, this is the way forward. And I think God still speaks and still works in those kind of ways. When I first became a Christian, I got this book, The Joy of Listening to God. I read about three chapters and put it down because it's just I just didn't relate to that at all, right? I'm intellectual. I like reading stuff. I like it objective. I like it black and white. And, and it's just like, oh, I was with God, and this amazing thing happened. And it's like, it's just not my experience, you know? It's like, maybe it works for you, lady, but this doesn't work for me. And I recently picked it up again, and I got through the first couple chapters, and I'm like, okay, this is your personality. We're really different, you know, but got to that place where, okay, God can speak in these ways today. And she shared about a dream that she had. They were down, she's from England, they were down in Greece vacationing with the family, and they just bought a a VW bus that they were camping in, and she had a vivid dream one night, and the bus got in a wreck, and it went over the side of a hill, and it was just kind of a devastating wreck, but there was just a sense of peace with that. Well, the next day they leave, and going down the road, they get in a terrible wreck. She's in the hospital for three days, but she just said, I had this distinct sense of peace in the midst of all of that. It's like, okay, was God by his spirit communicating? I think so in those circumstances. And I think a lot of it is how we term this, right? As an evangelical, say, I think, you know, God's given me an impression or... You ever been praying or just time with God and he nudges you and he says, hey, why don't you call that person? Or hey, why don't you do this? You know, Beth's experience. You're just, God, I don't know what to do. And it's like, okay, this is to communicate to me. And I think God still works in those ways. So allow space for that to happen and don't be as skeptical as I am, right? And I think there's a healthy skepticism, right? Because we've seen all sorts of craziness, right, that people say, well, this is what God told me, right? And you're like, there's no way that God told you that, right? Hey, it disagrees with his word, right? God's spirit is not going to contradict himself. He inspired the word, and he's not going to inspire you to do something that's contrary to the word. So I think in all these subjective areas, it's really important to quote, test the spirits, as John says, to see if this agrees with the truth of God's word. And I think it's also really important to bounce it off of other people that are godly and you know. If you're just like, oh, God told me this and this is what I really want to do, so I'm going to go do it. And you won't say, hey, you know, let me grab my friend and see, and how does this square with scripture? Then you can tell that's probably not of the Holy Spirit. It's probably of, of you. This is what John Wesley said about this. Do not ascribe to God what is not of God. Do not easily suppose dreams, voices, impressions, visions, revelations to be from God without sufficient evidence. They may be purely natural, they may be diabolical. Try all things by the written word and let all bow down before it. So again, I think God still speaks in subjective ways to us. The scriptures are full of those accounts. But we have the word of God by which to test things, and we hopefully have godly friends that we can run stuff by and say, do you think this is a wise way to go? So test that. And again, what else do we do? We listen to God when we're in the solitude. And I think, again, you know, what did Jesus do when he was out there? I'm not really sure. 
He may have sung, sung the Psalms. I know for some of you, God speaks powerfully through music. And it'll be, wow, you know, so put some praise music on. Let the Lord speak to you through that. For some of you, God speaks powerfully through nature. Just getting away and seeing the beauty of God's creation and allowing God to minister to your heart in that way. Again, don't kind of reduce it to, oh, this is what it's got to be. But allow God space. I want to close with this quote from the end of this book that I finally got to the end of probably 25 years later, and this is the part I really like. Early on in my prayer pursuit, I heard a wise maxim. Pray as you can, not as you can't. In other words, pray and listen to God in a manner which holds meaning for you personally. Beware of falling into the trap of aping another person's prayer style. For the would-be listener to God, this advice is priceless. All kinds of components make up the complete listening package of prayer. Not everyone will gain access through each component. To some, God will communicate his purposes in one way. To others, he will reveal his plans in a completely different manner. At different times and in different places, he may communicate to the same person in a whole variety of ways. We must allow God to be God, to take initiative as he wills. Our responsibility is to be ever ready to receive his transmissions and when he sends them, to listen and to obey. And I think that's another huge part of our hearing from God that I don't think God's going to communicate to us unless we're willing to obey and put this stuff into practice. Why would I communicate to somebody if it's like, I'm not going to do what you say anyhow. It's like, well, I'm not going to waste my breath, right? And so... If we want to hear from God, if we want to have an experiential relationship with God, we need to ask ourselves, okay, am I doing what I know the Lord has already told me that I need to be doing? And none of us are going to do that perfectly, I know. But keeping short accounts with God, if there's something that the Holy Spirit points to, you say, okay, if I'm going to confess this sin, I'm going to move into God, and I'm going to ask for his grace and strength not to keep doing this. And even if I keep falling, to keep confessing and keep going back in that way. But if I decide in my life this is just what I'm going to do and I don't care, what God says I should do, then I can't expect to hear from God. There was a guy that came into my counseling office one time and said, you know, I'm just feeling really distant from God, and God is not near. And we talked, and there was a whole bunch of stuff that he was just holding on to in his life, and he said, I'm not going to give that up. And I said, until you're willing to let go of that, don't expect to feel warm fuzzies towards God, right? So as I conclude, to me, the main thing is not to pray as you can't, but to pray as you can. And to make it a priority. It was a priority in Jesus' life, and if we're going to allow Jesus to begin to work in our lives, and if we're going to have a relationship with him that's actually real and legitimate, it's going to take time, and it's going to take some space. Are we willing to do it? God's not going to push himself into our lives. But he wants to meet with us. The question is, do we want to meet with him? Let's pray. Father, we thank you that you love us enough to want to meet with us. And you want to meet with us regardless of what's going on in our life and even regardless of how we're feeling about you at those moments. So thank you for the truthfulness of your word. And Lord, you relate to each one of us in different ways. So we just pray for each person here, Lord, that they would seek you and your kingdom in a way that they can 
experience you in reality, that you would nudge them, that you would prod them, that we all, Lord, would make room in our hearts for you, that we'd find that solitude and that may be even in the midst of busyness with some earbuds in listening to praise music just to remember that you're God. So Lord, help us to do this. Give us strength and your grace. Help us to know you. Help us to be still. Help us to experience you in reality. And it's in Jesus' powerful and precious name I pray. Amen.